Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Writing fiction about writers who are really good at writing is always a tricky proposition. Because if the fictional writer's writing is good enough that it's worth all the drama that you're about to put your characters through, (laughs) well, then you have to write something that good. It's a massive amount of faith to put into your own skills as a writer. This is something our guest today gets into, and Enright is the author of the new book, The Wren, The Wren, about the fallout that comes from having a great artist slash awful man in the family. And she tells NPR Scott Simon that she actually had an easy time getting into the skin of that type of guy because she knows those types of guys. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead, Shipwreck, Treachery, and Survival at the Edge of the World by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. You can make a long list of men considered geniuses, writers, statesmen, scientists, artists, who were also abusive husbands, neglectful fathers, and utter bores. One such man is the famed Irish poet at the heart of a new novel. Phil McDara is pure fiction, but he comes alive through poetry like The Wren, the Wren was a panic of feathered air. In my opening hand, so fierce and light, I did not feel the push of her ascent away from me. The poet abandoned his family on the way to fame. They still live with the emotional rubble two generations later. How those women contend with that conflicted legacy of professional beauty and personal pain is at the heart of the novel, The Wren, The Wren, by Anne Enright, and the Booker Prize-winning novelist joins us now from Dublin. Thank you so much for being with us. Lovely to be here, Scott. How do you create a fictional but famous poet, realizing that the Irish poet is, a, alas, a stereotype for a lot of people anyway? Uh, well, there's always some truth in a cliché, and in this instance, there's much beauty and honour in the Irish poetic tradition, so it was extremely cheeky of me to go there at all. I had been reading Irish poetry during lockdowns in uh, 2020. Poetry was what I reached for in times of difficulty. And I was interested in how when we were so bereft, we were looking for something lyrical. I was looking for something lyrical and sweet and high. So those connections or those differences were at the heart of the book. The poet is looking for something beautiful and the people around him are left with all, are are bereft, are left with all the other stuff that he's escaping from. Mostly himself, it has to be said. And help us understand uh, Carmel. Uh, his daughter and and her daughter Nell, who's just starting out as a writer herself. How does that how does that shadow fall over their lives? Yeah, he walks out at the when Carmel is twelve, and he leaves uh, not in an anguished sort of way. Uh, he abandons the family when their mother gets sick. He can't take it. He can't deal with it. He can't stand it. And, and when we say sick, we just don't mean a cold or flu. No, no. She was recovering from a cancer. So, um, And he couldn't manage it. The challenge undid him. So Carmel, who was uh, 12 at the time, was a kind of very sensible, stolid sort of 
little girl and she used all that kind of literal minded tough minded pragmatic those all those talents she kind of shut down and became the person who would tell other people to mm. get over yourself get over it it's fine so she made her life in a very practical sort of way and very practically then she decided she would have a child of her own and that she wouldn't involve any father. Thank you very much, because they were not in any way, in her mind, reliable. Mm. So she has Nell and Nell is just one of those children that comes out <laughs> completely and utterly themselves. She's that little toddler who's heading for the horizon. In that way, she is a little bit like her grandfather, Phil. She is determined to live a poetic, slightly self-absorbed kind of life. Nell is involved with a man when we meet her. Should she see some of those same signs in him? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, some people say uh, on reading the book that she gets involved with a bad man because her grandfather was a bad man. I'm not really uh, interested in those kind of simplicities. Um, she embarks on a doomed love, the way that uh, love was always doomed in poetry. Love was always obsessive. Love was always helpless and infatuated and yearning and waiting. So she um, she has a kind of evolved crush on this guy who treats her kind of sporadically badly and then less sporadically badly. I ask you to read one of Phil McDara's poems. Yeah, I'm going to read a poem that Phil wrote for his wife when they were courting because his poetry, as far as he was concerned, was his gift for her. Mm-hmm. It's called On Killiney Hill for Terry. Through Angelica and Furs, Twice scented meadowsweet, releasing coconut, almond, cardamom, some note beyond my heart's circumference. She peels her aromatic carillon, my bluebell Protestant girl, in the skirt she wore for Sundays. Well, that's utterly beautiful. So how did you put yourself into the into the mind and skin of Phil McDara? Yeah, you know, that was easy. I mean, Phil McDowell walked into my head and I know these guys. I know these guys. <laughs> I mean, I know them. Uh, Claire Keegan, the wonderful Irish writer, said in an interview recently that women are so attuned to male authority, as it were. They spend a lot of time figuring them out. So they might have knowledge of men that isn't returned because it's really in their interest to. Yeah, I knew Phil. I knew his self-serving, self-pity, as well as that feeling of reach and inspiration and freedom. I knew all of that. But to to make him as a poet, that took a lot of work. Well, but let me put this very practically. This is a character of your creation. Did you ever say, I'm not going to have him write a line that good. He doesn't deserve it. It was really important that the lines be good enough. I mean, I don't have a huge confidence in, in my talent as a fake poet, or as a real poet. (laughs) The craft of poetry is, of course, a lifelong endeavour. But the poems had to stand. This was the the great work for me to make us understand how people would fall for it or like it or how those words might endure and how they might endure separate to the man who made them. There's a moment in the book of particular clarity in which nature is seen for just being nature, not necessarily as a writing prompt for a poet. How, how was that for you? 
Yeah, I think all poets and all writers come to that moment at some stage where you realise that the world exists independent of your descriptions of it. And one of the key uh, texts uh, behind the book for me is Adam's naming of the beasts. Um, William Blake did a painting of it. And uh, that, that line in Genesis where God puts Adam in charge of all the animals in the world. That being in charge is also starts with naming, which is an act of possession um, mm. and also can be an act of entitlement and destruction. We don't own the world. And the first way we try to own the world is by naming it. So that renunciation of language is part of a, a number of writers' practice. And it's a very sweet moment for me. And it's, yes, it's one of great clarity. Anne Enright's new novel, The Wren, The Wren. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.